faithfulness, Lord, meeting us here tonight as we draw near to you in worship. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, even amongst the trials of life. And Lord, there's none of us that escape trials. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus, you promised that, and certainly we have, and we do. And yet, Lord, you've also encouraged us that even in the midst of trial, that we can count it all joy. Not joy for the trial, but joy that God is with us in and through the trial. And that you are working something in us and through us. That you're perfecting our faith. That you're strengthening us spiritually. That you're able to work all things together for good. Lord, I don't know how you do it, but I've seen you do it. I know that you do it and you've promised to do it. And your word is true. So tonight we lift up the Peters family, God. We ask that you would be, especially with Rhonda, in this time of pain and and difficulty, Lord, that you would comfort her. Lord, she was in good spirits and Jeff was in good spirits. I was just encouraged to hear that your spirit had already really begun to work in them. And so I pray that you will continue. But Lord, practically, that you will work out the healing and all of that that's needed, Lord, for things to be uh, brought back to normal. And, Lord, be with Jeff and the boys and the family there, God. Help us as a church family to reach out as well. And finally, Lord, I want to ask for your grace on tonight's study. As we continue, Lord, through the book of Leviticus, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord, out of this very, very special passage concerning the Day of Atonement. Minister to us tonight, Lord. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Leviticus, chapter 16, as I mentioned in my prayer, this is uh, maybe one of the most important chapters in the book of Leviticus. All of it is important, of course, but this is, a, this is instructions now for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement would be one of the most significant uh, holy days in the nation of Israel. This was the day that the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for sins for himself and his own household and also for the nation. And what we will see here tonight, I believe, is really a picture of what God was intending to ultimately accomplish in Jesus Christ. We'll see a lot of imagery, we'll see a lot of types, and we see God's heart longing to forgive and and providing a way wherein sin could be dealt with and we could have relationship and fellowship with a holy and righteous God. We'll break it up into three sections here tonight. Uh, The first ten verses will be, and we'll look there first here now, and this is uh, the instruction for preparation. This would be preparing for the offering on the Day of Atonement and something of a summary and getting the priest ready. Uh, If you would... We'll start here in this preparation section. Follow with me now in the first couple of verses. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So you remember uh, Aaron's two boys had gone into the Holy of Holies very casually, haphazardly, bringing their own, uh, their censers with profane fire, 
not following God's instructions, not considering the, the holiness of God, and it cost them their life. And so now Moses reminds Aaron, now listen, the Holy of Holies, don't just go in there any time. It is a place for a special offering and a special time. And uh, this would be a once-a-year offering, and we'll get to, into some of the details here in a moment. Uh, today, the Jewish uh, people and culture still celebrate this this Day of Atonement. It's known as Yom Kippur, and that is actually the Hebrew, Yom for day and Kapar for atonement. It is the Hebrew version of Day of Atonement. And it was to be on the 10th day of the 7th month of the Jewish calendar. This would be roughly our mid-September to mid-October. This was a very special month, the 7th month. The first day was the Day of Trumpets. Trumpets were to be blown to celebrate the new year. That's also known as Rosh Hashanah. And then on the 10th day would be this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then on the 15th day uh, of the month would begin the Day of the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, uh, which would last one week. So this would be a very holy month, and this Day of Atonement would really be the most holiest of the days because this is the day that the sins of the nation would be atoned for. Today, um, those the Jewish people that celebrate Yom Kippur, of course, there is no sacrifice for sin. There is no temple. There is no tabernacle. There are no sacrifices. So it's become something of just a day of reflection for them, a day wherein they kind of uh, consider it a holy day and they, they don't work and they uh, often will fast and, and consider it a time to kind of reflect on their life and, and confess those sins and kind of make kind of like a new year, kind of make, uh, you know, vows to, to do better. And, uh, but it's become something of just a religious day. Really, no more sacrifice for sins uh, are experienced because there is no more shedding of blood. There is no more animal sacrifice. And the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Of course, we know that Jesus has ultimately replaced and fulfilled the Day of Atonement once and for all, offering his own blood. But the Jews who do not receive Jesus, who do not accept him, they're kind of left with this hollow day. Really, it's, it's something, it's empty of its meaning. It, it, even in their own covenant, the instructions for what were to take place that day, they have no way for that to take place. They have no, no place to offer sacrifice. They have no opportunity to really atone for their sins. So they just kind of reflect and hope that the good outweighs the bad, and it becomes something of a religious exercise rather than a true spiritual relationship. Let's read on here, and we'll get a little more instruction about how this day was to be handled. Again, this is part of the preparation. Verses 3 and 4, notice the garments. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. They shall, uh, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So we notice here the garments that uh, the high priest was to wear. These were not the, the, the high priest's garments. You remember some 
some chapters back and even in Exodus where we looked at the high priest's garments and the, the breastplate and the ephod and the very royal and uh, you know, very beautiful garment that the high priest was to wear in his normal priestly duties. But not so on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, all of those normal high priest garments would be set aside and the high priest was only to wear the linen garments. And these were to be a symbol of humility, not to be wearing the royalty, but rather the humility. You know, I, I, this was uh, as I was preparing for this um, the study tonight, uh, this was something that I had never noticed before. I, I did not realize that the high priest actually went in with, or it just never dawned on me some of the significance of it, that the high priest did not wear his normal garments when carrying out this holy day of the Day of Atonement. Actually, those, uh, those uh, royal garments were set aside, and he was to put on humble garments of linen for the ministry of the Day of Atonement. And it speaks to us. It speaks to us about Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus. The book of Philippians tells us in chapter 2 and verse 5 through 9, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, before he would come and fulfill the day of atonement, he set aside his royalty, although he existed as God. And you can imagine the glory that he enjoyed. He set that glory aside and became humbled himself and became a man. And so the high priest would set aside those, those royal garments and put on the humble linen garments for this day of atonement. Again, a picture of Christ. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. That we would appreciate this Jesus who loved us so that he humbled himself, became a man even to the point of death on a cross, that he might redeem. He, be, he who was rich became poor in order to enrich us with salvation. And a picture of this in the high priest. You know, not only a beautiful picture of Christ, but also I just want to remind us that you know, Christ is to be our example. Ministry is something of a service. Ministry is something of a humbling oneself. Jesus did not come to be served, he said, but I, I came to serve. Humility is uh, such an important characteristic to be useful in the kingdom of God. Just a couple of verses to, to put this in your heart, because it said there in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Think soberly. That means think correctly. Don't, don't think with vain imaginations. Don't be puffed up in your own mind. Paul says, no, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly. Remember, 
You're just, you're just equal to others. You're not better than anyone else. God has gifted us uniquely, but each of us are to humble ourselves. First Peter 5 says this, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The high priest was to clothe himself with humility for this service to the nation and for himself as he would go into the day of, for the day of atonement. And so we too were to clothe ourselves with humility because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God has to resist pride because it leads away from him. He does it in love. He resists pride because pride will ultimately lead you to destruction. But he gives grace and help to the humble because it's the humility that will draw you in relationship with him and in fruitful relationship with one another. Well, let's uh, con- con- continue here and finish up this section up through verse 10. Uh, he's instructed to prepare uh, the various offerings. Aaron, verse 6, Aaron shall, ta- shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Again, this is all part of instructions on preparing. These are the animals that you were to gather. A bull for himself and his own household and two goats for the people. One would be offered, one would be let go. And uh, now what we'll see as we move forward here in the chapter, that's the first ten verses, kind of a preparation and a summary. And now we're going to get into the details of the offerings themselves And uh, I think we'll see a number of interesting things here as we look together. Now, 11 through 28, we get into the very details of how these offerings were to be carried out. Let's take a look with me now. Pick it up in verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as as the sin offering, which is for himself. And then he shall take a censer, full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So in this on this holy day, the high priest would actually make three separate entries into the Holy of Holies. This is the first entry that's being described here. He was to go in and make offering for himself. He was to go in with the the blood from the bull that he had sacrificed. He was also to go in with hands full of incense Oftentimes, incense representing prayer and intercession. He would go and he would place these incense upon the mercy seat, which would create something of a cloud. And the, the way it, it's written here, lest he die as if the cloud would be something of a, of a shield so that he would not look at the full glory 
upon the mercy seat, but that this cloud would somehow shroud the glory, lest the high priest himself be overwhelmed. And so a lot of symbolism here, but it's very important to notice that this high priest had to go in and offer sins for himself first. He was just a sinner serving other sinners. Oh, it was a great place of honor. It was a great place of ministry. It was a calling and a great place of importance in the nation. But he was, as far as him being sinless, he was just like every other sinner. Boy, that's a good word for all who would serve in ministry. We're all just sinners helping other sinners because all of us have fallen short of God's glory. The high priest was no different than everyone else in the nation. And he would have to go in first and offer sins for himself, lest he himself be overwhelmed, himself and his household. This would include, of course, the whole priesthood. And this would be done once a year. This was an annual offering for the, uh, for the sins of the nation. He would go in a second time. And uh, the second time, uh, he would bring the, bl- the blood of the bull. The first time, he would go in and, and present the incense. The second time, he would bring in uh, the, the blood from the bull, and he would sprinkle it seven times upon the mercy seat. And uh, this would be an atonement for his own sin. This is different from Jesus. We'll notice, uh, I think I have it on the overhead, in Hebrews chapter 7, what the writer says concerning Jesus' ministry as high priest. Chapter 7, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Again, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is written to to declare the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior in every way. The new covenant that he brings is better than the old covenant. The priesthood that he walks in is better than the old priesthood. In every way, Jesus is higher than the angels. Jesus is superior. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing this out. He's writing it to who? Hebrews. Lest those Jews that after Christ were be tempted to go back into the old Judaism. The writer of Hebrews is saying, why would you go back? Jesus is superior and better in every way. Why would you go back and have a high priest who's got to go in and offer sins for himself first when you can have Jesus who was sinless and offered himself once and for all. And not in in a tabernacle made with hands, but in the heavenly tabernacle. Don't you see, the tabernacle was merely a shadow. It was merely a picture of what Christ would ultimately do in fullness. That's why Paul said that the the law is like a tutor. It's to lead us like like going to school to learn about Jesus. And so we see this here, even in this Day of Atonement, we see that these high priests were limited. These high priests had their own problems to to offer for how much better Jesus would come and not offer the blood of bulls and goats, but offer his own blood, the blood, the, the blood of a sinless life, the blood of the Son of God, superior in every way Jesus would fulfill this Day of Atonement.
Well, reading on here, verse 15. That was what the priest had to do to go in and offer for himself. He would now go in and offer for the people. Pick it up, verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So again, seven times, seven times being a, a number of completion. This would now be his third entry into the Holy of Holies. Now he's in with the blood from the goat, offering it for the people. Verse 16, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. So he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Not only was he offering for the sins of the people, but he was he was actually making atonement for the tabernacle itself. Just because of of sinful man's interaction, it needed to be cleansed as well. A picture of holiness. Verse 17, There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. This would be again his third entry in the sprinkling of the blood now made for the tabernacle itself and for the people. We read on. That was the. Remember, there were two goats. One was to be sacrificed and his blood offered. The other was to be the scapegoat. Now let's see some of the instructions here concerning the scapegoat in verse 20. And when he had made an, an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to be to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness, the scapegoat. This would be a beautiful picture of God's removing sin from the nation. The the priest would lay both of his hands upon this scapegoat and would confess the sins of the people, in, in in a sense transferring the sins. The priest representing the people would transfer the sins of the nation onto this goat by laying his hands upon the goat and confessing those sins. This goat would then be would be led out into the wilderness and let go to a place not to return. The removal of sin from the camp, from the people, the sins and iniquities being remembered no more. It is a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. A couple things that stood out to me. <clears throat> Notice the uh, just the the detail in terms of the confessing of sin upon this animal and the laying on of the hands. God not wanting people just to pretend sin was not important. Really, this, this was not just a religious exercise. This was to be a thoughtful 
meditative time, a real confession, a real repentance of the heart. And that's what part of what is supposed to take place when we confess our sins. It's not, God, it's not that God needs a confession out of you, and you know, he, he, unless he hears it, he's not satisfied. God needs confession from your hearts because what you need to acknowledge, God already knows what you've done. God already knows that we're guilty. God, you're not give, bringing God any news when you bring and confess sin. God knows what's happened. God is looking for something to take place in your heart, that there would be a recognition of sin, a realization that we fall short, an acknowledgement that we have missed the mark, a confessing and agreeing with that, Lord, I confess this to you. And in that confession, there is something positive spiritually going on in your heart and life. I'm not talking about condemnation and a guilt and a, a shame that would overwhelm you, but I'm talking about an honest recognition of the sin in our lives and confessing it before the Lord. And it, it, it's, it's very uh, literal here, very, very uh, graphic in the way that these sins were to be actually confessed and transferred on to this goat. Sin is no small thing. Sin is a deadly, deadly curse upon mankind. And it needs to be dealt with. And God is, is giving some beautiful imagery here. I like what one commentator says. Name, uh, his name is uh, Vance Havner. He says this about confession and repentance. He says, Repentance is almost a lost note in our preaching and experience. And the lack of it is filling our churches with baptized sinners who have never felt the guilt of sin or the need of a Savior. We are trying to get young people to say, here am I, before they have ever said, woe is me. And it's an important part of our Christian journey to come clean in our hearts before a holy God. Don't just imagine that, oh, well, you know, everybody sins, no big deal. I'm better than some, not as bad as others. So glad God's forgiven me. And we just kind of, you know, brush it aside. Bible says that uh, God is faithful to forgive. But what does he say in that verse in 1 John? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the, an honesty in the heart. God's looking for integrity in our own hearts, an honest acknowledgement. And so he wants this in the nation. Now, part of this day of atonement was to cover the sins that the nation had committed unknowingly and haphazardly. And that is also part of what Jesus Christ has accomplished at the cross, having become the fullness of the Day of Atonement. Why do I mention that? Because I don't want you to imagine that somehow if there's a sin in your past that you've forgotten about, Lord, I don't know if I've confessed every single one, you know, and, and I'm not sure because God won't forgive me unless I you know, make sure I confess every single one. God is not looking for you to remember every single sin. God is simply asking you to confess those sins that you do know about. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to bring those things to your heart. And as you grow and walk with the Lord, that's part of your relationship. And, but obviously, there are going to be things that go on in your life that, you know, you can think back maybe when you were an early Christian of some sins and you didn't even know you were sinning, right? You didn't even realize that, that you weren't supposed to talk that way anymore, that that was kind of really not appropriate anymore, and you just you didn't know any better. And, and maybe even today, 
things that happen and you're just you're living your life you're imperfect god is not looking for you to make sure you get get a list out of every single sin but god is looking for an honest heart that acknowledges i am a sinner lord forgive me for those, these things that i'm aware of lord and Forgive me of those things that I'm unaware of, Lord, because I know that my, my heart has a tendency to be selfish. I know that I have tendency to, to fall short. And Lord, I'm, just, I'm not here pretending to be anything but someone who needs your grace and your mercy. And I believe that's the spirit that God is looking for, and it, it's expressed here in this Day of Atonement. Sin not being a small problem, it could only be dealt with through sacrifice and ultimately only through Jesus Christ. Listen, the the, the blood of animals was not God's long-term solution for sin. I remind you of Hebrews 10, verse 28. Concerning the blood of Jesus, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse, worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of Worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. As we meditate and and confess and acknowledge sin, what it should do is bring into appreciation the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ and that we would not consider it a small thing, what Jesus has done for us, that we would be always mindful and thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Your blood cleanses me from sin. Your blood was paid as a a price of ransom for my salvation. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, don't consider it a small thing. Value what God has done. Value what has been accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. But it is a picture of this, this scapegoat of what ultimately takes place with the sins that God is forgiving. The priest would go into the wilderness and release the goats, and it would be a scapegoat, the sins taken and removed. We know that uh, there was a something of a a scapegoat tradition that emerged wherein the, the priest would assign this individual to take this goat out to, the, to a place of release, and it would be far outside, out into the wilderness, and they would set up kind of uh, every certain distance there w- within eyesight, there would be another uh, priest who would watch, and they would signal back. So the, the goat would be released, and the, pre- the priest who released him would signal back to the priest that could see him. He would then signal back to the priest that could see him. And there was this kind of signal relay, and it would lead all the way back to the temple. And as as the message came that the goat had been released, a great joy and celebration would break loose in the temple. This celebration that our sins have been removed and, and have been taken away from us. And this is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in Christ. A few verses that I want to remind you of. This is maybe the heart of the whole passage here is this really God uh, dealing with sin. And I want you to, to experience this in your heart tonight. Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has He removed our transgressions from us. Also in Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31.34, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The writer of Hebrews would quote these passages. Verses, chapter 8 and verse 12, he would say in quoting the Old Testament, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. As important as it is to acknowledge our sin and that we need a Savior, it is equally as important to receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. They've been taken out into a wilderness and released, never to be heard from or found again. This is something that, you know, some struggle with. They've confessed their sin. Even even in the moment, they, they think that perhaps they're forgiven of their sin. But then later on, Later on, they start to think, wow, am I really forgiven? Oh, it was so horrible. I don't know. God, God, I just want to confess that again. I, I want to get cleansed from that all over again. And you want to kind of, you know, just to make sure that God really, really, really forgave you. And you have to understand that this, this picture of the scapegoat is really just imagery of what would ultimately be accomplished in Jesus Christ. You must put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus. It's hard for us because instinctively we feel like we need to help. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure God wants to forgive me. And maybe if I do something, some really good things, then, then my good works along with my prayer for forgiveness combined, then God will be willing to forgive me. And we imagine that somehow we can contribute to the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished. Maybe you don't say it. Maybe you don't even kind of put it together quite that systematically. But, but you know what? Sometimes you carry that. And you imagine that somehow God can't really forgive me until I, until I do better, until I kind of get it together. You hear this oftentimes, even people that have fallen away from the Lord, people that were once walking in fellowship, given their lives to Christ, but then through sin, through compromise, they find themselves backslidden. And they find themselves back in a place of, of a sinful lifestyle. And they feel horrible. They know it's wrong, but they can't now bear to come back to the Lord because in their mind they imagine, there's no way He could forgive me now, not again. And then even when you try to encourage them, listen, the Lord loves you. Just come back to the Lord. Well, I, I need to get my act together first. And let me kind of, you know, get some things together. And then, you know, I want to. I agree. I'm going to come back. But, but I need to get some things, you know. And, and they imagine that they need to put a little bit of a, of a good record down so that when they come into the church or they come back to the Lord, they've got at least, you know, something going in the right direction, that this will help kind of mediate the, the, uh, God's anger and wrath and somehow subside and, and make Him more merciful, mercifully leaning towards them. And these are the things that we imagine in our mind, but they are not biblical. They are not true to what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. 
He has paid the price. Nothing that you can do can earn it. Nothing that you can do will help it or contribute to it. The only thing that you can do is receive it by faith. Receive it in your heart and accept it because God has declared it so. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus has paid the price and salvation is not of works lest any man should boast. It is by grace through faith. And so this scapegoat is a picture of sin being removed, sin being cleansed, sin being taken away. The Bible says, I will remember them no more. You know, you come to think of it maybe a week later, a few days later, and you just want to make sure and you bring that sin. God, I, I know I confess this, but I want to confess it again just to make sure. And the Holy Spirit says, what are you talking about? I've, he remembers it no more. In, in God's mind, it's as if it's never happened. Oh, that pastor, that just can't be true. That can't be, it just can't be like that. It is. This is the beauty of salvation. This is the glory of his grace. Now, this is not license. This is not some, you know, go live any old way you like because it's all covered under grace. That misses the whole point. That misses the whole heart of salvation. No, we're talking about those who love the Lord and those who acknowledge that they are sinners and want to live for him and want to bring their heart and life to him in truth and in sincerity. God will meet you in that moment. God will forgive you. And you need to walk in that freedom. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm hitting this because I meet with many of you and pray with many of you. And this is a concurring theme. A sense of guilt, a sense of shame from the past. A sense of, of being almost crippled spiritually. Because you're not, you just can't believe that you're really forgiven. But you are. Not only are you forgiven, but it's forgotten. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? As far. God has set you free from sin. And what Jesus Christ has accomplished is, as he said at the cross, finished. Well, we pick it up here. Finish it up with me. Verses 23 through 28 in this section. Uh, this uh, this portion where he's actually instructions for the offerings, verses uh, 23 through 28. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who has, excuse me, he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh and their offal. And then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. So this is kind of the, the cleanup after the offerings. Everyone that's had anything to do with the, the goats or the handling of these things, and the high priest himself would then wash himself, his clothes, 
the, the, there would be this complete burnt offering, uh, a symbol of consecrating now that they've been cleansed, now that sin has been removed, kind of a recommitting themselves completely to the Lord. Remember the burnt offering is that symbolic of you know, giving yourself completely to the Lord, consecration. And so the high priest and those involved uh, would completely cleanse themselves, reconsecrate themselves as individuals and as a nation. And this would be the beginning of a new year for them, having had this day of atonement accomplished. Finally, verses 29 through 34, we see really just something of a summary section here and just how important this day was to remain for the nation. Verse, verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native or your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. That sounds good. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. This is how the, the high priestly would be passed down from generation to generation. Verse 33, then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Notice there that they were to um, consecrate themselves. Uh, it was to be a that you shall afflict your souls and do no work. What's the point there? Stop everything. Even if this tenth day didn't fall on a regular Sabbath, the tenth day of the month, it would be treated like a Sabbath. Afflicting your souls. This would be you know, a sense of kind of really slow, you know, stopping everything and really reflecting on what is happening. Afflicting their souls, they would often fast. This would be a time of fasting, a time of meditation. A time of really considering what, what's going on on this day. This is the day. A day when the sins of the people will be atoned for at the altar. And of course, it was a day pointing ultimately to Jesus Christ. And it would, that is supposed to be today uh, something wherein we are stopping everything and considering what he has done. We kind of experience that a little bit at, our, at the communion table where we stop our busyness and we come together and we... We remember Jesus, right? As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's the same type of idea here. You'll do this. This will be a statute once a year. No work. Afflict your souls. Stop everything. Focus on what's going on spiritually on behalf of the nation. And so it becomes the centerpiece for the nation's life and fellowship with God. God communicating that sin must be atoned for that there is no atonement apart from the shedding of blood. What's he saying? Who's he pointing to? Sin still must be atoned for, and there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. And that blood today is Jesus Christ once and for all. They were, they were going through this ritual 
looking forward to what would ultimately be fulfilled in Christ, we now look back at what has been accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. But it is a beautiful salvation that God has worked and really should be the centerpiece of our spiritual life as well. The only reason we have relationship and fellowship with God is because of our Day of Atonement, the cross of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished there for us. You know, we come in and we worship the Lord and we come in boldly, we come in confidently. We draw near to the Holy, Holy Lord God and raise our hands and we, we, we come near in spirit to the Lord. And, you know, we almost kind of, well, yeah, of course, it's natural. That's, that's what you do as Christians. You, you have this wonderful access to God. But in the nation of Israel, the access was for one man once a year. God's kind of demonstrating the holiness, the, the, the separation between God and man because of sin. Jesus Christ has broken down that barrier. Remember, the veil was torn when Jesus Christ was crucified, and we now have this wonderful... We come boldly into the very holy of holies. But let's not take for granted. Let's not, let's not take it lightly. Let's remember what has been accomplished for us in Christ, and let's take full advantage of it. Come to the Lord. Draw near to Him. Jesus has made this beautiful access for us. I'll close with this verse out of Ephesians. I thank the Apostle Paul. In my mind, this is something of what he had in his heart, just how beautiful. Paul, of course, was a a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the process. He knew the the whole system. But now in Christ, he sees what God has done in this work of salvation. And this is his prayer. In Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This day of atonement, a special holy day, and yet we have this wonderful relationship because of what Jesus Christ has done. The Bible says that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy of Holies, this fearful, awesome place, now dwells and resides in the heart of God's people. He has come to tabernacle in us. What a beautiful picture of God's love. What a, what a, what a powerful statement of what Jesus Christ has really accomplished for us. And that's why Paul says, I just pray that, you're, that, that God will, will broaden your view of it. You'll understand the height, the depth, the fullness of it. What Jesus Christ has accomplished. It is a beautiful, beautiful salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Day of Atonement and how it speaks to us concerning our atonement the atonement that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Lord, a couple of themes standing out to us, Lord. Humility. We want to humble ourselves, Lord, recognizing just as Jesus humbled Himself, He set something of an example for us. 
We want to humble ourselves before you. We want to be honest, Lord, in our hearts and lives about our sin, our shortcomings, Lord. We don't want to be pretending. We want to be honest because you give grace to the humble. But Lord, we also we also want to receive the fullness of your forgiveness and your mercy. And so, Lord, we don't want to be carrying. We shouldn't be carrying about the weight or the guilt or the shame or any condemnation of those sins that have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more. We need to walk in that full freedom of what you've accomplished for us. And as our heads are bowed here tonight and we're closing, I do want to give an opportunity for those of you that may need to respond to the Lord I'm going, to offer, I'm going to make a couple of things available to you here tonight. Firstly, for those that either need to come to the Lord for the first time or those that need to rededicate, recommit their life to the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never really received this grace, this mercy that is so beautifully pictured in this Day of Atonement. But your heart is touched tonight and you realize that Jesus has died for your sins. And it's time for you to receive that by faith. And God's speaking to you and, you, and you'd like just to receive that tonight. And that's how you do it. You just, by faith, we pray. And you confess that you're a sinner and Jesus forgives. And I'd love to pray for you here tonight if you need that prayer. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. This would be the second thing that I want to pray for tonight. Maybe... Maybe you're here tonight struggling with a sense of guilt and condemnation. Maybe maybe you've known the Lord. You, you may even be you might even be regular in church. But you're but you're struggling. You're struggling with really receiving the fullness of what God has accomplished for you in Jesus. And the guilt and the shame and the and the that nagging sense of being unworthy is really crippling you in your walk. And maybe even making you at times feel pushed away from the Lord. You 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 draw back out of sense of shame or guilt or fear or some, some sense that God doesn't doesn't want you or won't have you. And I want to pray for you tonight, too, that you would come and recommit your life to him. And maybe for those of you that are that are that are walking close, just really appropriate in full what Jesus has done for you at the cross. So first, if you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the first time, I want to pray for that group first. If you're here tonight and you need Jesus and you've never received him before, but you're ready. Raise your hand so that I can see you and I'll pray for you here tonight. Anybody need Jesus for the very first time and you want to invite him into your heart and life? Anybody here tonight? Just wait here just a moment. I want to give full opportunity. The Lord's speaking to you. You've never really made that step of faith to receive Jesus. Tonight's your night. Anyone here before I move move on, raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray for you.
All right, secondly, those that are here tonight that you need to either rededicate your life to the Lord or we'll say you need to reappropriate the grace and mercy that Jesus has already provided. If you're here tonight and struggling with this, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody here tonight wrestling with the sense of guilt, shame, needing to recommit and reappropriate God's grace in your life? Raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray for you. Bless you. I see that hand in the back. I need those. I need a little more light back on. If you could give me some light. God bless you. And you as well. You as well, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am, on my left. All right, let's pray for those. Anyone else just before I pray? God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for ministering to us tonight through your word. Something about that scapegoat, Lord, just seems to be a powerful image for us. And I pray that you would really allow that imagery to speak fully to the heart of your people tonight. That they would actually go back and reread that passage and they would see that it's, it's all sin. It's not some of the sins, most of the sins, but all of the sins were represented upon that scapegoat. And they were taken and they were, they were released, removed, and forgotten. And so tonight, Lord, for those that have responded, I pray that you would set them free from the sense of guilt and shame, that they would know for certain that Jesus Christ has removed their sin. Lord, if the type was a powerful testimony, how much more the substance? If the symbol was so beautiful, how much more the reality of what Jesus Christ has done? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? Who shall condemn? Jesus Christ died for your sins. And He is now at the right hand of God interceding for you in this moment. Lord, welcome their hearts. Draw them to You. Embrace them tonight. We confess, we acknowledge, Lord, we need You. And we need Your help to walk in the fullness of this. We commit our hearts to You, Lord. We we accept by faith the fullness of what You've accomplished. Set us free. Cleanse us and renew us once and for all that we, we may walk in in newness of life. And Lord, it does not mean that we will now be perfect from here forward, but Lord, as we as we go, we know that Your grace is sufficient. That we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, our High Priest. Lord, may we appropriate the fullness and as the Apostle Paul encouraged us, Lord, that we would know the width, the length, the depth, the height, the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. We ask this in Jesus' name.